Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Just a quick uh, few things to get out the way. Um, If you are sitting next to one of these cards, it's our guest card. Please, uh, if you're new here and uh, joining us for the first time as a guest, please fill out one of these cards. We would love to get to know you and send you some information about Redeemer. And you can drop it off in the box in the back. Um, And also, there's a place for prayer requests. So if there's anything that's on your mind that we can be praying with you or for you, please uh, uh, fill it out and drop it in in the box and we we have a faithful prayer team that will pray over it, and um, we'll be happy to follow up with you if you need uh, to be need more prayer on it. Um, okay, I think those are the two big things. Um, well, we have finally made it to the end of 2023, right? Praise Jesus, right? No? Only I'm excited? Yeah, Nate is too, so. <clears throat> All right, so this morning... Uh, I, as I was kind of thinking about what to share, it's always hard when you, we're typically preaching through, you know, a passage or a topic, and, you know, and you just have a standalone ser- sermon, and you're like, okay, what, there's oftentimes a lot you want to preach, or you kind of have a hard time narrowing it. So I think uh, I picked this topic on living the eternal life, uh, because it's something that God's been speaking to me. So um, I was like, well, it's the last Sunday, I'm going to keep it short, that's how it started, but Hopefully it'll still stay short, but I wanted to start out with this meme so uh, that I, uh, I'm not on social media a lot, but I came across this meme, and I'm curious to see how much of, how many of you all are are seeing this meme. It's basically uh, wives asking their husbands or significant other, other men in their life that uh, how often they think about the Roman Empire. Have you all heard of this? Yeah, raise your hand if you have not heard of it. Okay, all right, so that's a good amount. So let me, let me, let me lay this out. So it's, um, it started out with this uh, woman posting, uh, this wife post, uh, or I guess this, I don't exactly know how it started, but this is kind of how the gist of it. It's basically a, a husband, or wife asking her husband, uh, who told her that he thinks about the Roman Empire at least once a day, at least once a day. And so she's very confused about this because she's never thought about the Roman Empire in her entire life. And they've never discussed it. So for something that he thinks a lot about, she's worried that he's not talking to her about it. So, well, so she posts on social media, and then guess what? Every other wife and woman have been, have been asking their significant other, uh, others, husbands, boyfriends, fiancés, how often they think about the Roman Empire. So it turns out that men think about the Roman Empire on average at least once a week. <laughs> at least once a week. And so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm curious to see how many of Redeemer men think about the Roman Empire. So raise your hand if you at least think anything about the Roman Empire at least once a week, once a month. Once a month, okay. <laughs> All the wives are like, what? <laughs> what about once a week? At least once a week. Okay, yeah. Once a day? Once a day. <laughs> so I was, telling my, I, was telling, I was telling my wife this, and she was like, the Roman Empire, what do you think, what, what about the Roman Empire do you think? And it's like, well, I mean, they invented uh, the Colosseum. I think about the gladiators. They invented modern plumbing. We think about politics. I mean, there's lots of things to think about. And it's like, but it's hundreds of years old. And it's like, yeah, it's still applicable. 
And so, so it turns out I, I think about it at least once, a couple of times a week at least. So she was not happy that I, she just found this information out. But anyway, so th this, is, um, this was an interesting meme that I, I, I came across. And I was thinking about, as I came to mind as I was thinking about this topic of eternal life, because just like the Roman Empire is a topic of thought for a lot of men, I think as believers, the topic of eternal life is or should be something we think about. Okay, now I don't know how many. I won't ask for a show of hands, but kind of keep think, keep in your minds, or keep count of how many times you think about the concept or the topic of eternal life throughout your day, week, month, year. Right, twenty twenty three is coming to an end. So kind of think about how often have I been, have I thought or been thinking about this topic of eternal life. So. Um, we all would agree that it should be front and center uh, in our lives as believers or in our minds, but <clears throat> oftentimes um, I don't think it is. I don't think it is uh, something we think a lot about, or sometimes uh, when we think about it, it's often attached with a lot of baggage or imagery that are not true. So what do I mean by that? So if you grew up in church, you probably introduced, you were introduced to this idea of eternal life through sermons and probably heard the famous verse in John 3.16, which says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. So it's kind of, you know, something that's very popular, not only in churches and in songs and in sermons, but also in the culture at large. But as we think about eternal life, and if I were to ask you, what do you think about the eternal life? How would you describe it? We often, I think, would probably land on something like eternal life is what happens later. Down the road, right? When I die, I will have eternal life. Uh, it's often interchangeably used with the afterlife, what happens afterwards. Uh, we often think of this as a happy time and we will be with Jesus. No pain, no death, no sin. It'll be a joyful time, uh, but it's for later. And so I kind of titled the sermon uh, because oftentimes, as believers, we think about waiting for eternal life instead of living the eternal life. And so the case I'm going to be making or going to reflect on this morning is, I believe the scripture teaches a whole different idea of eternal life. And so I think it's important as believers that we have uh, the right perspective on this. And so what, let's kind of look at what the scripture teaches us. But uh, on eternal life. But before we do that, let's kind of quick question uh, around uh, eternal life. So I um, shared John 3.16, but I am curious, if you were to go to the Bible to find out the definition of eternal life, what book would you be turning to? Shout out your answers out loud if you know. John, yeah? John, uh, yeah, John would probably be there. Extra points if you know chapter and words. Oh, okay, no, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, John 10 is a good one. It's a good one. Uh, but John 17, 3, and it's, it'll be up on the screen. And so here in John 17, 3, Jesus gives us the definition of eternal life. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, so to know God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you're looking for the definition of eternal life in this specific word, or in this specific uh, phrasing, this John 17.3 would you be your a passage to go to. I will come back and unpack this verse because I think it, is an, uh, it, it gives us the foundation to how we must think about the eternal life, but I have a second question before we move on. Probably a little bit harder, but if you were to, or 
Let me ask it this way. What is the Greek word for eternal life in the New Testament? It is a little bit harder, but I am curious. Greek word, no? All right. Somebody said it. Zoe, yeah, Zoe. Yeah, I have a kid named Zoe, if you're not familiar. My daughter's named Zoe. Um, so Zoe, it's called Zoe, it's the Greek translation. In English, it's called Zoe. But uh, Zoe is the word that the New Test- Greek New Testament uses to describe eternal life. And so when we think about um, John 3.16 or John 17.3, like I described, the word eternal life or life is described by Jesus and John and the other New Testament writers with the word Zoe. So let's unpack John 17.3 for a minute before, though, before we kind of look into what, what uh, the scriptures teach on eternal life. So as, as I kind of just mentioned, John 17.3 talks about uh, what it means to have eternal life. Um, but I think it's also important to pay attention to what we don't see here, right? We think about how we think about, sorry, think about how we talk about eternal life in culture or in our general t- conversations. We talk about going to heaven, afterlife, like I described earlier, but we don't see any of that in John 17:3 when Jesus talks about eternal life. For him, eternal life is not something that you wait for till you die, but rather eternal life is described simply as knowing God or having a relationship with God. Eternal life is knowing God. And so it's not a stage that we have in our spiritual life, something that we come arrive at at after we die, at least not according to Jesus. And so if you think about and read the New Testament, we will, you'll see that God is not waiting for eternity to begin. He lives in it right now. And so eternal life for us as believers who are followers of Jesus begins when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And we make, when we make that decision to follow him, you are living in the eternal life. So guess what, if you're a believer? Your eternal life has already begun, right? You're living the eternal life now, right? And that's pretty much the sermon, that's it, that's it. That's all I got, you know? <laughs> all right, okay, let me unpack that a little bit. So, uh, so the Gospel of John, like, I, like we just looked at, makes mention of this idea of Zoe, the Zoe life, at least 45 times, a rough count. And so it's eye-opening when you read it carefully through the New Testament writers and how Jesus describes the different aspects of the eternal life. We, we like I mentioned, uh, realize that it begins when we become followers of Jesus, but there's also different descriptions that the New Testament writers use um, to describe the quality of the eternal life. So we know that it's about knowing God, but what, what, about, what should it look like? Here's another passage, Keith mentioned John 10. So John 10 is a great, John 10.10 10 is a verse that I wanna look at this morning. Uh, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then Ivy translates the second half of that verse. I came, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, All right? So we see this, this description of eternal life as being abundant, full, vibrant, relational. Paul picks up on this language and describes eternal life in his own letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when he, we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, amen? We know, we believe that we've been saved by God's grace. 
And look at what he goes on to say. And raised, up with, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I don't know about what verse 6 sounds to you. It sounds very lofty to me. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's how Paul describes the life of the believer post conversion or uh, after being saved. I don't know how many of you would describe your spiritual life as experiencing this level of intimacy. Uh, and if you do, I would love to talk to you. And I've experienced some versions of this, but I, and I desire it much more, but we have a long way oftentimes to go to experience this reality. Because as we look at not only Paul and the, uh, in the Gospel of John, we see that eternal life is oftentimes described not only as knowing God, but being in intimate communion with Him. Having this relationship with Him so that our spiritual life is abundant and full. And so, as believers that are living the eternal life now, or that's what the Bible tells us we are, there's oftentimes a gap between what the Scripture describes our eternal life, what our eternal life should be, and what the reality is. And so this is kind of what I feel like the Holy Spirit has been kind of pressing in on in my own heart for the last few weeks or probably a month now, um, <clears throat> that sometimes, I think with the pressures of life, the demands of daily life, the vibrancy that we often experience in some, er some seasons of life are oftentimes lacking in our spiritual life. So as I was reflecting on this, I realized like life has a way of distracting us from this amazing spiritual life that God has made available to us. And if we don't do what is necessary to access this life now, then I believe that we're missing out as believers on the spiritual intimacy that God has for us. He's made it available to us. We have this inheritance and this amazing opportunity to grow and thrive spiritually. But the reality is we often find ourselves dragging our way through the Christian life. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be all fireworks and roses, but I think there is a vibrancy that that's often missing. And so I think it's worth looking at what gets us off track. Oftentimes, you, I don't know if you, when you became a believer, was excited about following Jesus, right? Um, and oftentimes that's how we, it begins. So the question is like what deviate, or what causes us to deviate or get distracted from how the, how, uh, about from the reality that uh, the scripture lays out for us about eternal life. I think I want us to look at a couple of things here this morning about what gets us off track. I don't know about your life, but my own life as I look at it, I, I think one of the main culprits is just our lives. Our day-to-day -day lives and the stress of our lives overpower the spiritual reality that we are to be living in. We see eternal life as the rest of our life, right? We have a busy work week, and then we rest on the weekend. And so we see eternal life similarly, like we're gonna have a meaningful life on earth, and then we'll rest for, have a long weekend experience afterwards. Because you and I live, if you are honest, in a reality that's constantly wanting our allegiance and our attention. Our lives have lots of demands and expectations. And often in pursuit to meet these demands and expectations, we run into problems and difficulties and stress that are way beyond our capabilities to solve. We're worried about how our future. 
the economy is struggling, inflation, job loss, sickness, parenting. Right? We worry about getting sick or uh, not getting better when we get sick. For those that are parents, we worry about our children, about raising them right, making sure we set them up. For students in the room, you're worried about exams and grades and college applications and careers. So it's, we live in a world that makes these demands of us. And these are all not bad things. These, these are the things that God has called us to do. We are to, be, we are to rule on his behalf. We are to take care of these responsibilities that God has placed you in charge of. And that's a good thing. However, the difficulty arises when we are unable to balance these things. When we are fail to balance accomplishing these responsibilities while still thriving spiritually. And so an honest and understandable situation is where we find ourselves when we, the spiritual aspects of our lives are crowded out by these demands. It's not just often these areas demand more, but we are unable to solve all of them on our own. And you see, Jesus recognizes this, and it wasn't, not, not that it was a surprise to him, but he talks a lot about this uh, in his, some of his early sermons. I want us to look at one passage this morning uh, where he talks about this, and that's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And this is just one example of a lot of scriptures that remind us to not neglect our spiritual life in, the, in, the, in light of our daily lives. So we're picking up in uh, Matthew chapter 6, if, and if you know Matthew chapter 5 through 7, or what we famously call the Sermon on the Mount, and so this is kind of what we're picking up uh, in the middle of, and uh, this section, uh, Jesus is talk, talking about anxiety in our daily life, and so I just wanna read this portion here for us to kind of think about what keeps us from experiencing this vibrant eternal life that God has for us. And so in verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single art to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, it's, it's probably a passage that we've all read and are familiar with, but if you look at the gospel accounts uh, of the Sermon on the Mount and look at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels because they oftentimes describe or, or have a overlapping descriptions of the different events that have, took place in Jesus' life and ministry. But if you look at the word of how the kingdom of God is used, and that is a whole topic that I can go on and on and on, so I, I won't go down that path, but the, the gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God and eternal life interchangeably. 
Um, and so if you th think about this, um, think about the example of the rich, uh, when Jesus talks about the rich, um, you know, rich and going through the camels, you guys remember the uh, story where Matthew says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich, somebody who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And how do the disciples respond to that? It's like, how then can we be saved? Right? Because for them, in their mind, being part of the kingdom of God was being saved. So kind of as we look, as we kind of translate or put that lens on this passage that we just read in Matthew chapter six, what Jesus is asking us or telling us or teaching us as the antidote to our daily anxieties is to seek God's kingdom first, to prioritize our eternal life, or to prioritize our spiritual life first because that is the antidote to worry and anxiety. Because God's got our needs covered. As you reflect on the last 12 months of 2023, what will that reflection reveal? What would the conclusion of your life show? What will it re reveal about the state of your spiritual life? Are you experiencing the abundance and the vibrancy that the Word of God tells us that is available to us as believers? Have we prioritized our spiritual life, our eternal walk with God? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think it's a relevant question to think about. What are you seeking in your life beyond the immediate needs of food and daily responsibilities and daily uh, demands on your life? Like, what is your life about if it is not about following Jesus? Something that I'll leave you to think about. But as believers, I think we must fight for our spiritual lives. The Bible talks about in Jude about contending for sound doctrine and sound biblical teaching in the world we live in where everything is relative. Because I think about that verse in Jude, I think I also feel like we need to contend for the blessings and the intimacy that God has made available to us. I don't think it will just drop on us. I don't think we can just be passive and experience intimacy with God. Of course we need God's grace, but God's grace is always available to us. God's not waiting to give us His grace. His grace is available to us as believers. I think the missing piece is often our own initiative to prioritize this eternal living. We would rather be distracted with the daily things that we mess around with. Apostle Paul, again, picks up on the same idea. This is not uh, unique to Jesus. Uh, unique to Jesus. Uh, Paul picks up or uh, comes behind Jesus to address us in multiple places. But I want to just look at this uh, what he writes to the Ephesian church, sorry, to Galatians, um, the church of Galatia, in Galatians chapter six, verse eight, he uses a different imagery where he talks about sowing in the spirit and in the flesh. So Galatians chapter six and verse eight, Paul writes, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the, fle will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Flesh, again, um, here refers to, just think of it as the world at large, the, uh, the worldly aspects of our lives, our physical world. And spirit here refers to our spiritual life. Essentially, Paul talks about this sowing to the spirit and reaping eternal life. The idea here, he's just using the imagery of an, an agrarian uh, society, something about sowing and reaping. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of farmers here, but we probably have, all have gardens or are familiar with gardens about expecting a harvest when we sow. 
another phrase I like to use uh, instead of sowing is to think of the word investing. Investing is uh, probably a term that a lot of us are familiar with, not just investing of our money, but investing our time, our energy. We invest our time, talents, and treasures in things that we, uh, we, that we consider important. We invest in our children, hoping that they grow up to be responsible and godly human beings. We invest our money, expecting to get a return. We in, in, uh, invest in our jobs, hoping that our career grows. We invest in our health, in our church, in our communities, in our homes. And we all do all of this with the expectation that we will reap positive results. Nobody invests with the expectation that it's okay if it goes to, um, it, it doesn't have a harvest. We all expect something when we invest. So what Paul is saying here is he's using this language of sowing and reaping to teach us that when we invest in the things that are visible and the things of our, that are physical, things that are worldly, that are competing for attention, then we will probably have a wonderful life on earth and we will reap some of those wonderful things on earth, but Paul says those are corruptible. But we cannot expect in that case to have a vibrant eternal life when we have only invested in the physical and fleshly things of the world. <clears throat> if we don't invest in the spiritual part of our life, Paul says, that we cannot expect to reap an intimate spiritual life that the scriptures promises. Now keep in mind, I'm not talking about being saved, but rather about eternal living. This is what Paul's addressing here. So keep in mind as you think about this. And oftentimes, uh, some of this misunderstanding comes from the fact of how we think about grace. Again, another topic that I can go down a rabbit hole, but just to orient you, and some of you have heard me talk about this before in other settings, but just a quick primer. As you think about grace, I think we often think of grace as I don't have to do anything. And Paul addresses this in multiple places. When you think about grace, whatever you think about it, if you land on, I can do whatever I want, or I don't have to do anything, you're on opposite ends of what the scripture teaches of what grace is. So a helpful way for me to think about it is, uh, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. What's the difference? Effort is action. You read your Bible, you serve, you love, you die to sin, those are actions. What grace is opposed to is earning. Earning is an attitude. If I do these things, I will earn God's favor. I will earn God's blessing. That's what the scriptures talk about grace being opposed to. Grace is not opposed to those actions. It's opposed to the attitude of earning. That's all I'll say for that. I think if we, because I, I do think as we talk about this idea of contending and fighting for intimate spiritual life, oftentimes we can think of the back of mind, but I thought that God was supposed to do that for me. I don't think this is what the scriptures teaches us on. All of all the uh, New Testament writers, including Jesus, talk about spiritual life or this vibrant, intimate, internal life to be something that we have to contend for. All right, so what are, so we just kind of talked about what the scriptures teach about internal life, what gets us off track on eternal life, and let's just talk through like what are some practical ways or practical things we can do to make this eternal life a reality, right? That's what we all want to do as we kind of are at the doorstep of 2024. 
So think of uh, these as kind of, I'm gonna give you four ways that I think about uh, how we can grow in this area. I say four, and you're going to hear a lot of these are intertwined, but I'm just emphasizing them as four points just for the sake of emphasis. Uh, but one of the important ways that we experience eternal life is to set God before our minds. To set God before our minds. I don't have to tell you or convince you guys that the world is noisy and distracting like I just described, right? And we have to fight to keep God and his presence at the top of our minds. This is a conversation in our household. Uh, my wife, um, I personally am not a big fan. She asked me if I was gonna tell her any stories and I told her I wasn't, but then this came to mind, so I'm just gonna share it and apologize, apologize later. But uh, the uh, smartwatches are a conversation in our household. Uh, I should confess, I'm not a big fan of smartwatches uh, because of how distracting they are, right? We already have a phone that's distracting, our minds are constantly distracted, and then now we have something that's tethered to our hand, uh, and so this is not something that I'm a big fan of. However, my wife uh, is constantly with our kids, you know, her phone's like somewhere, never can find it, so she finds this useful. So, but uh, this is a discussion in our home but one of the reasons I don't like it is because, like I just described, of how distracting, how all of these things around us constantly pull us and want to take priority in our lives. And so I think the re uh, because of that, we have to fight to keep God and his presence at the top of our minds. Being aware of God's presence is not hard, it's simple, but it's not obvious. There's some effort involved in our end. We have to actively work to keep God and his word before our minds. Now there's a lot, again, lots of places in scriptures that talk about this, uh, but just wanna bring your attention to one in Psalm 16, verses eight through nine. And here the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always, always before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, I should say, it's okay if you guys have Apple Watches. I'm just, just a personal preference. I, should, I, should, I don't want to hear emails. Um, but here, the psalmist is writing about setting God before him. Now, he didn't have smart watches or the internet or TV or devices, but even David felt like this was an important way, aspect of his uh, spiritual life, about setting God before him. And scriptures constantly ask us to do this, to seek God or to set God before us. Why? Why does the scriptures ask us to do it? If you think about it, it is a little bit of an ironic idea for us to set our minds or set God in our minds or before our minds. For somebody who is everywhere all the time, why, does, why do we have to direct our minds toward him? Well, this is, again, deep rabbit hole, but simple, simply speaking, uh, there's this idea or this theology or this doctrine of the hiddenness of God. Again, if you want to know more, I'll be happy to spend time talking about it. But the basic idea is God has to hide from us because we are unable to hide from God. Okay? God has to hide from us because we're unable to hide from God. And therefore, God has this arrangement for us to seek him. And a good way to illustrate this is uh, probably you've all experienced this when you play hide and seek with your children. Uh, God is hidden from us in the same way I hide from my children when I play hide and seek with them, right? Hidden just enough to be called hiding, but not really hiding, right? It's one of those things that uh, you're, uh, my hands are sticking out or I'm just hiding to 
uh, pretend that like I'm hiding, but really I'm obvious to them if they're looking just a little bit. I feel like God, God's hiddenness works that way. Even though he's not visible to us or not physically manifest to us, he's available to us whenever we need him or call out to him. I think it's a good way to think about it. But secondly, seeking also ensures that God stays in our minds because seeking shapes us, doesn't it? Think about what you are seeking. Let's say you are working towards a job or a career and that's what's on top of your mind. That will shape you. Think about your hobbies or making money or your home or your body or uh, your car, whatever it is that it's on top of your mind. That thing, that object is shaping you. The thoughts about it is constantly consumed uh, in your mind. Your mind is consumed with those thoughts. So if God and his word is not the object that our minds are um, constantly on, then other things will gladly take its place. And I think we can all attest to that from our own experience. So awareness of God is not something that just happens to us. I think we have to intentionally uh, uh, act on it. We have to develop it with the effort. And obviously God's grace is working with us. Again, like I said, God's grace is not the missing piece. It is our initiative and our intention to do it. And it is one way to have a more vibrant and intimate relationship with God. So how do we do this? How do we set God before us? So I think the answers are not complicated. If you don't already have a rhythm of prayer and scripture reading and memorization, I would say start there. That is a, a good place to start. I know for my own self, it's some things that have been helpful for me. When I have the chance and uh, I'm able to, uh, when I get enough sleep, uh, which often doesn't happen now that we have a newborn in our house. But when I do, um, oftentimes I take the opportunity to recite Psalm 23 before I get out of bed. And so for me, who's tends to be a constant worrier, somebody who worries a lot, um, reminding myself that the Lord is my shepherd is, helps, me lead, helps me with my day to go through my day without worry. He teaches me that God's got me, God's gone before me, and that he, is, he will lead and guide me. It seems like a simple act, but it makes a huge difference in how I approach my day. Another way to think about this is to Take five minutes during your work day or during your day to just pause and pray so that God's before you. I came across an author who, who's a lawyer, um, and he says he recites uh, the Lord's Prayer in the morning at lunch and right before he goes home from work. And I think for him, that orients himself by putting God before his mind. And another speaker I come across who, who works in investment banking uh, talks about reading the Lord's Prayer in Koine Greek, he was familiar with uh, um, Greek, but if there's, sometimes reading the same passage in English can be boring or but like, okay, I can do this out of memory. So reading in a different language oftentimes helps us pay attention to what we're doing. But those are some ways, some practical ways that we can put or set God before us. All right, second way we can experience eternal life now. That's by inviting God to act in us. And this is probably something that you're all familiar with. Um, if you've spent any time as an adult, you've experienced trials or difficulties in life. And we are all familiar with uh, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He does his work in various ways. He does it through our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, our, our health, through our coworkers, our neighbors, 
but he's also sanctifying us through our, the various trials and difficulties that we experience. Zach was praying through what 2023 may have been, may have been difficult, but we can all testify that we see God working in our lives in those area, in those times. This is how James puts it in James chapter one, verses two through four, quickly just for our reference. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, or read it as being mature, lacking in nothing. What James is saying saying here is when we experience trials, and we, we don't often choose them or choose what kind of trials we experience or the timing of them, but we can use those times to focus our attention to what God is doing in us. Where is he sanctifying us in those times? Again, this is not our natural response. We wanna run away or get better or make things better. But I think this is a great practice for us as believers to be patient when we experience trials. Because again, like most of you, some of you, have, most of you have experienced, those dark times tend to be some of the most intimate times we have with Jesus. And it's a great way for us to sow to the Spirit and as we allow and welcome God to act in us and sanctify us through the Holy Spirit. So it's God acting in us. Thirdly, I think we can experience the eternal life now by paying attention to how God is acting around us. This may be something that it's probably hardest for us, again, because we live in a noisy world. Um, uh, just as a way of illustration, um, and I hate to admit this, but, um, and some of you may have experienced this, I remember when I used to commute to work every day, back in the day, like um, every day driving down 635, I was beating, um, but I remember certain days, or a lot of days, when after a long day of work, I would get in my car, I remember that, and I remember pulling into my garage. Everything in between, I don't remember. My muscle memory took over and I got home. Scary, right? Scary, yeah. But sometimes, I think what's more scary is we walk through our spiritual life as such. Habits and responsibilities take over and we just kind of do the routine. We're daydreaming our way through our lives. And we miss what God is doing around us because we don't have the ability to pay attention or we don't make the time to pay attention. Because God is not just working in your lives. He's working in the lives of your spouse and your children and your neighbors in our church and our community. God's working and God's doing things. And I think it's important as believers to be able to be attuned to what God is doing. As we move through our days, not just, uh, just paying attention to what's in front of us, but keeping an eye or ear out for what God is communicating to us through, the, through what he's doing around us. Because if we believe, we would all agree that God, we serve an active and a living God. He's working in the lives of the people around us. But do we see him work? Now I'm not, again, not expecting fireworks and uh, you know, um, music and um, loud lights, right? Not, not expecting that, but I think God is still working. I think a good example of this, and this kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this, is a, um, it's a little bit of a dramatic illustration, but I think it is relevant to our point here, is in Second Kings chapter 6 and verses 13 through 17, 
quick, uh, I'll orient you while, we, while you turn there, but in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's the story of um, prof, the prophet Elijah. Um, the king, uh, Elisha was um, um, a prophet to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel um, was, they were in battle, and um, an enemy king was constantly trying to set ambush and capture the king of, um, king of Israel and his armies, but they, could never, they were never successful because the king of Israel would always anticipate where the king of this enemy king was and he would always uh, reroute and always escape. And so the king is upset and he's like, who's betraying me? Who, who is the mole in my army? And his, uh, his uh, soldiers were like, no, it's really this prophet. He's, God speaks to him uh, and he communicates to the king of Israel and that's why they're able to escape. And so this is where we pick up the story where the enemy kings go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This math equation does not work, right? Servant, prophet, two. Hundreds of soldiers surrounding me. What is he missing? And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. I bet you his eyes were open. He was looking at what was happening. But in 2 Kings we read, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It is mind blowing to me that two people looking at the same situation saw two different realities. I mean, I know it is a dramatic, I don't expect us to see horses of fire, chariots of fire everywhere we go, but it is, it is, it is something for us to pause and think, like what are we missing because we're so caught up and distracted by what's happening around us that we're not aware of what God is doing, what God is doing around us. What is he up to? What is he working? What is he doing? Two people standing next to each other, completely different perspectives of reality. I think it, is an, it captures the importance of us paying attention to what God is doing around our world. If, when we do that, when we see God working, I think it, it creates in us this, this anticipation or this desire to constantly seek Him and to pray and ask Him to do more because we see Him working. It pushes us to do that and that I think builds our relationship with Him. So what about you? Are you aware of what God's doing around you? I know I'm not always attuned to, to that. But what if this new year in 2024, we made it a point to be aware of what God is doing around you? And it's as simple as just praying and asking him to make you aware. Jesus, show me what is it that you're doing. Okay, lastly, we can experience eternal life now by inviting God to act with us. As believers, God has asked and equipped us to rule in various areas of our lives. But oftentimes we go through our lives and take care of these things, we pray, but we don't expect God to work with us. We, we believe it, but we don't function like we need God's help. 
we think asking God to help you or partner with you in the, in the daily activities of your life is maybe insulting to God, but that's always been God's intention to partner with us ever since the Garden of Eden. I think this is an important way for us to experience more of God and to grow in our spiritual lives because we move from relying on our own strength and our own wisdom and ask for God's provision and we start relying on Him. And I think this allows, enables really God to, to help us and God is only happy to partner with us in our lives. He's not offended if you invite him into your lives and there's no small, too small of an area. He's interested in everything about you. He created you and he's shaping you. So whether it's your marriage, our parenting, our schoolwork, our jobs, our ministry, God is available and willing to partner with us. And I think we need to take him up on that. I think it also allows us to see results or get results that are way beyond our own capabilities. Again, we've all been there, right? We're trying to reach goal A, but we, we rely on God. We know we're not getting to goal A till, unless God shows up. And God shows up and we're way past goal A. And we've all either experienced or been part of those experiences. So I think um, praying for difficult situations or setting God-sized goals that you know will only get done if God showed up should be a normal occurrence in the life of our, of our lives as believers, but oftentimes it's not. We never take that step of faith or never want to risk our reputation. What if I pray for them and they don't get healed? Pray for it and I expect God to show up. He may not show up the way we want, but he will show up. And as believers, God has equipped all of us with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Those are ways of God acting with us. But again, if you never risk doing anything, never take an act of faith, never serve, and they're just tucked away, and never put to use, you will never experience God working alongside you. Or God, even God working through you or with you. So I think those are kind of four ways that I can think of that you can experience more of an eternal life or more vibrant and intimate relationship with Jesus in 2024 as you think about what it means to think of your life right now as, an, as eternal living. Not eternal waiting, but eternal living. So as the band comes up and as we kind of close this last Sunday service in 2023, can I ask you to evaluate your own lives Again, if you're not sure you have eternal life that is made available to us through Jesus, then please come talk to me or one of the elders and we'll be more than happy to talk to you. If you're not, uh, you don't have, uh, not available right now, but please fill one of those cards and we'll be in contact. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've, you, you've surrendered your life to him, I think as believers we need to be more diligent to ensure that we're not ignoring our spiritual life. I know we all would say, hey, I would like to be more intimate with Jesus. And Jesus wants to give us this life that uh, he's created for us and made available to us. It is available to us now and when we experience it, it is unlike anything that we have experienced in our lives. Because we get to live in sweet fellowship with the king of the universe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I surrender this 
um, these words to you as we kind of close out this year. We pray that you would move in each of our hearts as we think and pray and reflect on what it means to have a more vibrant and uh, intimate relationship with you. Help us, Jesus, as we meditate on these words and think about your own words. We pray that you would allow it to shape our hearts and our desires and our uh, expectations, that we would shape our priorities in the new year. We know that you are with us and that your grace is available to us. That you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so there's nothing that we lack other than just to take the initiative and to surrender our hearts and our lives and our uh, responsibilities to you. Pray that you would make us a a church of believers that follow you and experience this intimate life, that people that show up are able to see that difference in our own lives, that we expect you to work not only in us, but around us and with us. I pray for each of the uh, families that are represented here that you would be with them. Thank you for your, your mercies and grace through 2023. We love you, Jesus. Help us to live in your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.